It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Storylines, the women's cricket podcast, where we have our first ODI review and what a game it was. I'm Melissa Story and joining me for today's daily is Simon Hughes, the analyst himself. Hello, Hi. Simon. Hi. And, and I've been uh, absolutely riveted by today's game. It's been spectacularly good fun. It must have been a great game to be at. It, it was. It was electric. I mean, actually, I say that it started off quite quiet and I understand it's a, a midweek ODI and the crowd grew after you know kids left school and people were coming after work as well because of course the, the tickets are so excessively priced that people can afford to come for just the second inning so the crowd built up nicely um, but it, it was quiet at points and by the end the, the Barmy Army did a brilliant job of getting everyone involved they were somehow in a balcony in someone's apartment playing the trumpet from there so I'm not sure what scenario how that comes about of the Barmy Army knocking on your flat door and saying can I come play the trumpet on your on your balcony but it happened and it was wonderful and as you say a a thrilling game where England won by two wickets with 11 balls remaining doesn't get any better does it and I think there's, there must be a commitment this year from both the men's and the women's Ashes teams to just commit to the drama of the Ashes. You know, we've seen you know, some of the best cricket I've watched in terms of men's and, and the one-off women's test match of hard, gritty, fighting it out across four or five days. And then these, these one-day games have essentially gone down to the, to the last over, to sometimes the last ball every single time. And when you've got these crowds in, and a lot of them first timers in terms of coming along after edge bastard apparently and the the wonderful t20 there seven thousand tickets sold for the oval because people actually were like oh we're going to jump on the bandwagon here we want to go see this team play and they're making you know they're making it worth it for people and the fact there's two more odis to come both sellouts i can't wait for southampton i'm sure and you know it's really interesting but there's this sort of momentum shift going on isn't there in both the men's and the women's ashes. And it's funny, but 
in 2005, which everyone is sort of comparing this current Men's Ashes series to, there was this sort of feeling like the Australians were so dominant for so long. And and then suddenly this this really burgeoning, exciting England side took them on and got beat in the first test comfortably at Lords in 2005. And everyone thought, oh, God, you know, we've just, it's a false dawn and we're not going to do what we expect to do and all that. And this, the Aussies are just going to obliterate us again. But then after the two-run victory at Edgbaston, there was this sort of gradual feeling of uh, sort of, Great wave of support for the England team, obviously, in England. But also you could see the, the the hope and expectation gradually draining out of the Australians' eyes. And they were just, every time, in a crunch situation, England would find a way of winning rather than Australia for the last 20 years. And I can sort of see that a little bit happening here in the women's ashes, that Australia is so dominant in the Test match and... They really kind of showed their their class, but gradually, mm-hmm. England have just been chipping away at them, and now they're finding a way to win. And there's a sort of surge of optimism, which I'm sure is being helped by by the nation really getting involved. And the fact that you know, and I'm sure as we'll do a quick summary of the game in a second. England will also be looking at this and saying, "We have not put out our best performance yet." You know, the the winner, the Oval was favoured by a, a brilliant innings from Danny Wyatt. At Lords, it was Alice Capsey who, who really stole the show. And as it often is, the focus does go to batters, but, but particularly more because England have been involved in a couple of run chases. And of course, today for England, it was Heather Knight who, who played the anchor kind of role. But England have put down catches. They put down five catches today. There was a miss stumping. There was always this talk before the series of, oh, well, if England want to beat Australia, they've they've got to make no mistakes. But They've proven that they can beat them, making plenty of really, really simple mistakes, actually, and mistakes which should be criticised quite openly. You know, these are professional players. They should not be dropping this many catches. But I dread to think, you know, what it could be like, what kind of game we could have where England go out, take all their catches, for both the men and the women. I would love to see a world where that happens. But, you know... There is a lot of potential. And before the series, it was going, there's a gap between these two teams. Maybe in two, three years, when a few, you know, the professional system in England is more established, similar to Australia's, then the gap will close. But I don't think anyone expected the gap to close this series. And, you know, as I said, to run you through the, the, the narrative of the day, if you, if you weren't able to catch the game, of course, Australia won the toss. They opted to bat first, which I think was a, a correct decision from Captain Alyssa Healy. She could have very easily looked up at the grey skies above and been lured into the, the desire to bowl first, try and get some swing. But she looked down and she has probably spoken to many people who have played at Bristol where recently it's low and slow, difficult to chase on. And it was low and slow. We saw Amy Jones for England come up to the stumps almost six, seven overs into the game, even with two new balls. So it was slow. Alyssa Healy smacked two boundaries off the first over, then was plum LBW to cross. Litchfield looked so comfortable, and as she did in the test match, she's shown signs of what she can do, and then chipped away, well, was dismissed by an excellent catch by Sophie Eccleston. Simon, did you see that catch? Yeah, yeah. I also saw the one she missed. And and, and <laughs> there, that, there was quite an interesting uh, sort of mini incident in your commentary box, wasn't there? Because you called it as a drop catch, and I think Catherine Brunt was a bit offended by that. I could sense there was a bit of tension between you there, which <laughs> you actually dealt with very well by saying later in the piece, 
by the way, I bowled to you in uh, whenever 2018, and you smacked me for two massive sixes. So you sort of put the um, the, the, the 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 hero worshipper back into into her domain kind of thing. But I thought there was a slightly frosty uh, feeling there, which is good, I think. By the way, I think it's good to challenge these big stars because they're not always right. Yeah, it was. Oh, you know what, Simon? It was one of those ones where I called it. The dreaded word drop catch came out my mouth, and I was like. Well, I, I thought it said she's put down an easy one there and the, she was directly behind a pillar for me. So was it an easy one? I had no idea. Then I decided to stand by myself and say, yes, you should have taken that. Then I was, as you say, Catherine Siverbrunt pointed out it was a difficult catch, all of this, all of this. And as you say, the best thing, you've got to stand your ground for a bit, but then butter them up later. And that's how you make friends with the, the big England stars. But yeah, so... Phoebe Litchfield went to a brilliant catch. Elise Perry and Beth Mooney in at three and four were the only two Australians, all that experience behind them, who looked never comfortable, but they were able to just navigate the pitch. Perry got 41, Beth Mooney 81 not out at the end of the game. And then just a, a flurry of wickets really from Australia. Talia McGrath was just bowled by a, a straight delivery from, from Capsi. And Capsi, a name I really want to talk about because... She managed to bowl, at least Heaven Knight managed to bowl nine overs of Alice Capsey's part-time spin, which in the past, England have been so reluctant to, to use part-time bowlers. And it's so frustrating to me because you look at sides like Australia who have historically been more successful because they play eight bowlers or have eight bowling options and they can adjust accordingly to the surface. When England got pumped for 330 plus last year at Canterbury against India in the ODI, Harman Preet Kaur, she was brilliant. But England used five bowlers. They didn't use Lamb's off spin. They didn't use Danny Wyatt's off spin, Sophia Dunkley. And you, we've seen so much over the last few days, for example, just in the county championship, that it was James Vince who took the wicket of, of James Rue down at Taunton. Sometimes you've just got to throw in a bit of a wild card and fortunately England did that today they backed Capsi and she didn't concede a boundary until her ninth over England you know it's England have got to be more flexible and hopefully I, I think this would have proven to have a night she's got to the make the most of part-time spin, time a, bit spin a bit more often I thought she bowled really well and I think that she's got a good cricketing brain the way she bats as well I can see her sort of thinking through what are the good shots to play in a certain situation and how she's going to manufacture runs. But with her bowling, she just subtly changed her pace a little bit occasionally. And the, the wicket that she got, well, I think she got two wickets, did she? But the first wicket she got, McGrath, was, was just playing for some spin and it, and it just skated on with the yeah. arm and sort of beat her on the outside edge. Just a, a really good regulation, standard off-spinner's wicket. And just from the little sort of subtle changes of pace... If they found her hard to dominate, so they have found a, a good a good ingredient there. Then England chasing two hundred and sixty four got off to a bit of a flyer. It was unusual. Sophia Dunkley again struggled to get runs. She was bowled by Perry, who had quite unusually took the new ball for Australia. But England were one hundred and three for two, uh, just in the twelfth or in the thirteenth over, and then. As always with England, there was a bit of a, a stumble as, as soon as the spin came in. And for me, I, I spoke about it after the game with a few of my colleagues. Simon. I don't know your thoughts on this, that England are, are clearly comfortable against seam. And like most openers, they want that pace on the ball. When Australia have, you know, a bowler such as Ash Gardner, who has been so on top of England in this Ashes series... 
do they need to be a bit more confident and actually bring on spin a lot earlier? You know, get rid of that fear of the power play, you know, fear of the spinner being hit for a few runs because your seamers are being hit for plenty of runs. They're bowling so many extras. They bowled more extras in their first seven overs, I think, than England did in their entire innings. So, you know, why not take that risk? Bowl a bit of Ash Gardner early on because England throw away their wickets against spin. And it, for me, it, going into Southampton on Sunday, it would be my, my first pick. It would be going, Megan Shoot, give her back the new ball because Megan Shoot is in your team to swing the ball. The fact you've brought her in first change when the ball's already stopped swinging for me is, is useless and get a spinner on at the other end. An Ash Gardner or a Jess Jonathan, someone who can control their line. And for me, that's how they pick up two or three wickets in the power play. The problem for them will be where they put the fielders because... Or she can only have two players out, two fielders out in that first 10 overs. And actually, New Zealand men were the first pioneers of opening the bowling with spin in ODIs way back in 92, you know, before you were even born. Uh, the, uh, the New Zealanders actually opened with Dipak Patel, an off spinner in the World Cup in 92, and went through the whole tournament doing that. And they set a, a fielder at long on and one at deep square leg, I think. So they, they set two players out on the leg side and everyone else obviously was saving one. And it worked really well. But the trouble is now, batters are so much more adaptable against spin that it's difficult to know where to put those two boundary fielders because there'll be players reverse sweeping and slog sweeping and so on. So I, I, I take your point about opening the bowling with spin, but I don't think you can do it for very long because you are going to go for boundaries. Whereas when you are bowling outside the power play, you can, as a spinner, you can bowl, you can put, you know, three or four people on the boundary and cover those boundary options a bit better. So I, I like your thought, but I, it, it's not that easy to do with only two boundary fielders. It's almost got to be a two or three overs. If you don't get the wicket, fine, you experimented. But the other, of course, thing to talk about is towards the end, England... It was getting a bit nervy. England needed around 50 to win, I think, at this point. They, they were seven down. Heather Knight was still out there in the middle, but most fr frustrating for me was her insistence to take a single on the first ball of the over. And yes, at points she had Sophie Eccleston and Sarah Glenn at the other end, who are very competent batters. They've done really well for their regions this, this season so far. But she was taking a single off the first ball, the, her, the established batter, letting Eccleston and Glenn almost dot up at the other end, feel under pressure, then both of them were kind of dismissed. Eccleston trying to hit, launch a massive six over mid-wicket and Glenn just trying to force the ball through the covers and, and got caught. And for me, it, it wasn't great from Heather Knight. I think with her experience, she needed to have just gone, actually, of course, you know, back your, back your teammate at the other end, but perhaps just think about the scenario a bit more. But she she stayed out there, and in the end, Heather Knight finished 75, not out. It was Kate Cross for England in the end, who remarkably hit 19 off 20, pulled off one of the best paddle shots and then followed by a cover drive I've ever seen, and then almost absolutely clattered Megan Shute in the face with the firmly, almost firmly struck cricket ball I've ever seen. Yeah, the Kate Cross, I, I've never understood why she's so low in the order. I've seen her bat before, and score runs and she's got a really good basic technique she's very experienced she's got shots as she proved today with that ramp you know how that where that came from god knows but i mean it was a brilliantly executed shot totally out of the blue 
she's just got a good basic understanding of how to bat, how to make runs. She seems quite calm as well. And I, I can't understand why she doesn't bat higher up the order. I, I mean, your point about Heather Knight um, getting a run off the first ball of every over, well, I, I think she obviously trusted her partners. And in the end, she had reason to. What I do think England need to improve on, particularly against spin, is running between the wickets. I've never thought, they, apart from Danny Wyatt, I've never thought they ran that well between the wickets. And they need, to, to be honest, they need to be a bit fitter because they're sluggish between the wickets. And against spin, when you're not confident of, apart from, say, Alice Gapsy, launching it over the fielders for six, you've got to make those ones into twos more often and put the fielders under pressure. And then there'll be misfields. So I would say that's, you know, if England could take something out of today, it would be, and it, and it won't be something they can do immediately because you, you can't get fit to run between the wickets in a week. But I think that's something they need to focus on. Now, we've asked for some questions from our listeners. And of course, do keep getting in touch with us across this Ashes series at Storylines Pod on Instagram or Twitter. We're going to run through a few of these. Thank you so much for everyone who sent them in because we have been flooded. We don't have time for all of them. But the first one I wanted to talk about was from Cheat, who has messaged saying, are we going to see a situation in white ball formats for England where finger spinners will have to be, or will have to have more skill sets than just bowling? It's, and they suggest it's probably why Capsi got the nod ahead of Dean, because whilst Dean can bat, you wouldn't put her in the same category as a as a Capsi or, or a Bryony or a Sophie Eccleston. And I guess if you look to Australia as well, they've gone for... Well, they have the options of Ash Gardner and Jess Jonathan, who are finger spinners, but incredibly good batters at the same time. Is that is that plausible in the future? Got to be. I think all girls and, and you know women should be able to bat and bowl, and it just gives you more involvement in a game if you can offer up your services as a bowler because you, you know your captain needs a bit of help or someone's got injured or, you know, there's a particular bat, batter who is struggling. I don't know. But th there are lots of scenarios when you can bring a, a part-time bowler. Look at the value of someone like Joe Root with the ball who gets key wickets all the time. And I, I've never understood people who play cricket, you know, men or women, who don't bowl because it just keeps you involved. Otherwise, your whole fielding session can be quite boring. You're not really engaged. You're cut, stuck out on the boundary or st stuck at slip or wherever it is. And you're not, you, you know, it's a sort of, it's, it's almost a fresh air part of the game. Whereas if you've got the chance to bowl, you're more engaged. You might go up to the captain and say, oh, you know, uh, I, I fancy a go here or can I help or something. And it just, I think it just gets you more engaged in the game generally. And obviously it, you need to bat. Everybody has to bat. I mean, cricket's that's a weird game, isn't it? Where you do get crackerjack bowler bowling at a number 11 who's absolutely hopeless and you don't get that really in many other sports where you've got a, a king or a queen at one end and a, a novice you know someone completely useless at the other so it's right it's vital to work on your batting because look at Kate Cross she's got the key runs tonight and I think you know getting 18 not out in a run chase like this at number 10 is is probably better than taking two wickets with the new ball. It's so uplifting. It's so exciting to, 
to do the the thing that you're not so well known for and be a hero or a heroine absolutely wonderful experience Absolutely. Alice Capsi with the ball and Kate Cross with the bat. Who could have seen it? But I know Kate Cross was absolutely buzzing after the game. And uh, one thing I want to talk about as well, which we've got a message from, from WG Rumble Pants on, on Twitter, who said, how much has Meg Lanning's absence unsettled the Aussies? Is it, you know, is this had an impact on the fact they look less dominant with the ball and in the field? And, you know, or is there just complacency because they're so used to, to winning that now they're losing, they don't really know how to cope with it. I mean, we all knew, we always knew Meg Lanning was going to be a loss. And for me personally, I would say that Alyssa Healy has made some incredible changes in, in the bowling, particularly in the test match. And she makes certain good fielding positions, but at times you look at her and you think there is far too much burden on her shoulders at the moment, you know, particularly when she's going in at the top of the order, keeping for 50 overs and having to make these decisions. For me, I, I just don't know whether the option was there to maybe go with Beth Mooney as an alternative captaincy option and just let Healy focus on on wicket keeping and batting. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And, I, I you know, you you know more about this than me, but I'm sure that, Meg Lanning provides this sort of reassurance to the team and people believe in her because she's done so well for so long and led so so prominently and so successfully. So she has a sort of, people, you know, believe when she makes a suggestion, people are going to go, wow, you know, great, that, that, that we should we should buy into that. Whereas somebody less experienced with less of an amazing record, you're slightly doubtful. And if that doesn't work, then that player that is, is sort of less respectful of that captain and the captain is, is going to doubt themselves and so on. So it's a, it has a sort of cumulative effect both ways. Now I'm going to combine a few people's questions together here from Zui. I hope I'm saying that right as well as we have Harry Edwards, who's tweeted in as well. Rose's tweeted and Alex Clark as well. So thank you guys. All of your questions are kind of around selections for the game of Southampton, which is of course now an incredibly important game for both teams. England need to keep on winning and Australia just need one more win to retain the Ashes, but they've said very clearly they want to win it. They don't want a, a series defeat. One of the, the, the selection queries is, would you stay with Beaumont and Dunkley as the opening partnership or are you going to move you know, a, a Dunkley kind of figure down the order because Dunkley has struggled. She's shown a vulnerability to the shorter ball. She got out to a good dismissal from Perry today, but I can't help but think her unusual back grip and, you know, it's, it's an unusual technique. She can be quite ugly in the shot she plays. It's effective, absolutely. But on slower pitches like today where it's more difficult, for me, she does look like she's struggling a bit, but whether a move down the order would help? Well, I think that's where her best position is. Sophia Dunkley, when she was playing for Middlesex, when I saw a lot of her actually, was just brilliant at working the ball around, busy, good between the wickets, just very good at getting some impetus going. And I think she would be better down the order. And I'd think of someone like Danny Wyatt. I mean, why don't they open with Danny Wyatt? She... She does well in T20s opening the batting. It's the same sort of situation. Either Danny Wyatt should open, Tammy Beaumont, you know, brilliant, or um, Kate Cross. Why do they put Kate, why do they put Kate Cross at number two? Pinch hitter. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the Hampshire Somerset game I've been following because I've got to follow my boys even when I'm away with the England women. And Kyle Abbott 
went in at number 10 for Hampshire and in the end scored, what was it, in the end 80, 90 odd? And Hampshire then decided when the follow-on was enforced, let's just open with Abbott. He got a few runs. It didn't necessarily work in some ways, but it's similar to this whole did Mo and Ali at three debate work. If it gets in the opposition's mind, and if, you know, <laughs> I've seen crazier things, but in terms of, I, I would agree. I, I mean, Danny White is so effective in the power play in T20s. And I personally don't see why 50 overs should be different. You know, she opens in the 50 over stuff for the Vipers. Jason Roy, and like Jason Roy for the men, really, it's the same. She has the best strike rate in England, you know, by miles, because you mentioned only two fielders outside the ring. When you've got the quicks such as Darcy Brown or Megan Shuton, they're going to want a, a deep third or a fine leg. That means if they want both, you've got no one in front of square. Danny Wyatt is going to make the most of that. So I just don't know whether it would relieve the pressure on Dunkley because I have no doubt in her ability. I've seen her do some incredible things, but maybe, you know, the, the, the contrasting styles of Beaumont, who's got a bit of a lower strike rate. She's more of a traditional player, but can anchor in innings. And then a Wyatt who might not get you a, a big score, but she might get you a 35 off, you know, 35, a runnable 35 at the start of a, an ODI can make all the difference. So for me, maybe a change in the future. Another question around England in particular has been around Amy Jones. And Amy Jones averages nine against Australia in ODIs. And She's undoubtedly the best keeper in, in the women's game in the UK, in, in England and Wales, but her dismissals are repetitive and it's infuriating as a spectator to see a player who has so much potential, but who constantly gets caught in two minds going, should I go over the top? Should I play it along the ground? And in the end, the amount of times I've commentated on Amy Jones' dismissals going, that's a soft dismissal. She'll be disappointed in that. Today, just chipping the ball back to, to Georgia Wareham, where she, she just flighted the ball a bit more. I mean, you've got Lauren Winfield-Hill waiting in the wings as a potential option with the gloves, but... i throw in another one. Oh, who's your other one? Go on. Ellie Threlkeld. I mean... She's a she's a she's an absolute gem. She is. She's probably again up there with the, the best keepers in the country. I mean, Ellie Threlkeld has been in the round and she's been consistent at the domestic level for years. I think the question mark around her was always her strike rate was never quite there. And you know, most people would speculate the next England keeper potentially a, a best heath if you're looking for a keeper who can bat a bit more. If you're looking at pure glove work, Rihanna Southby at the Southern Vipers is another really good potential option. But as you say, I mean, surely there's got to get to the point where people may be questioning Amy Jones as contributions with the bat because gone are the days where you know you would have that keeper whose sole job was to to just be the best wicket keeper in the country they don't really have to contribute with the bat and I just I don't know whether for too long she's been a bit too safe in this keeping position and that people are just see her as a, a permanent fixture in this team when actually do we need to be questioning this do we need to start looking to the next generation of keepers and going let's change this up because you're getting out in the same way you're a professional cricketer you get all this training and I hate to be so harsh on her because as I said I think she's brilliantly and wonderfully talented but you can't keep making the same mistakes in fact she missed a stumping today as well I think you did you do have to evolve all the time and keep thinking ahead keep looking ahead keep trying to groom new players all the time and in that regard just one other question for you where's Izzy Wong because you know, she was so talked up before the series and before the summer 
and she's been a, a, a bit invisible. So what's the issue there? The issue with the, the Izzy Wong conundrum really is that obviously she's done a brilliant job at growing her own personal brand. She does TV appearances, podcast appearances. You know, it was really significant that she was the first player of Chinese descent to play for England. And, you know, she's a bubbly personality, wonderful person. So, of course, she was able to capture the attention of a lot of people, particularly then followed by the Women's Premier League. The issue is for, you know, a lot of people who are fans of Izzy Wong, but didn't necessarily look at the early season performances is that she really struggled. And I was at England's training session yesterday and the bowlers were kind of bowling in pairs and Lauren Bell and Lauren Filer were first up. They were looking quick, accurate. They were making the most of the pitch, which I think is important when you've either got that height or your pace. When Izzy Wong came in, it was all full. It was just low full tosses or half volleys outside the off stump. There was no use of the pitch and her pace just looked a little bit down. So it's strange that we could go through an Ashes series where Izzy Wong is the face of the series and she may not even play a game at this rate because I think the next fast bowler who's waiting in the wings would be Filer. So it's a, it's a strange one. England have lots of options, which is an absolute luxury. We mentioned Charlie Dean could also come in, which... If she did, she would play an important role because of the number of left-handed batters the Australians have as well. But England have a few questions. Whether they're now going to change things before going to Southampton, I don't know. Another question we've been sent in, well, going off those, those same questions, is about the Australian selection. Alex asked, should Australia, of course, off the back of three losses, be making changes? Do they need to bring in a Grace Harris, who didn't necessarily have the T20 series she wanted, but she's you know, a competent, big-hitting middle-order player. You know, do Australia need to bring in Alana King rather than, or bring in two leg spinners? Would they ever be bold enough to play two leg spinners? It's a bigger playing area, the Aegeus Bowl, isn't it? Uh, I don't know what they put the boundaries at for, for the women, but it's certainly quite a big area, uh, potentially. So another leg spinner, you actually, I, I mean, I've, I've been at the Aegeus, as as you probably have recently. It's it's like a desert there at the moment. Like, you know, there's not a blade of grass anywhere in sight. So could be a place where, you know, lots of spinners play and that might be a clever change for Australia. Well, as I like to call it when I lived there, Costa del Sotten, absolute warmest, loveliest place in the country. But yes, I do expect there may be a bit of turn in that pitch. So we'll have to see. To round things up, Simon, what well, are your predictions? Oh, oh, you got one more. Go on then. We'll round up with this one. You said that uh, there'd be there were, Izzy Wong was was at practice, and there were some other bowlers at, at England practice. Wasn't one of the other bowlers you? It was, and I'm so glad you're going to expose me now. Um, I bowled at Lauren Bell, Lauren Filer, and Danny Gibson. So I got to bowl at the lower order batters, and they still absolutely smacked me I must say um I personally see it as doing my national duty to bowl a few nice half volleys get the England girls some confidence with their batting and obviously it worked because they've gone on to win this ODI if England need me to do some net bowling before the game on Sunday I'm available once I've got you're back from far you're the lucky charm aren't you yeah I am clearly but um yeah no I, I got a few back of the hand slur balls out tricked Danny Gibson with with one of them and obviously she wasn't selected today so maybe they were watching um but yeah if England also were impressed then I am available to play on Sunday if they want me um can probably clock a nice 58 mile per hour probably a max spell of three overs because then I start to get tired. And if there's a pint waiting for me at the bar at the end of the game, I'm there. Doing your fitness training, Melissa. 
Get doing your fitness training. Read my article in the Times about what Mark Wood does to prepare for a test match, and you need to do the same. All right. I will. I promise. Right. We'll round things up on that note with my promise to commit myself to my future fitness levels. Of course, get in touch with us at Storylines Pod on Instagram or Twitter and keep an eye out for our Ashes dailies, not only on this channel coming up on Sunday for the Southampton ODI and then next Tuesday for Taunton, but of course on the analyst inside cricket as well, where we've got a bit of a break, but once the test match starts at Old Trafford, we'll be having daily podcasts from you, Simon and Simon Mann as well. Yeah, we will. That's right. And we're top because of your efforts. We're top of the table at the moment. The uh, the yeah. and, and storylines. We're we're punching way above. You know, Sky Sports cricket and all those other podcasts uh, that that get so much promotion. We're the best at the moment. There we go. Teamwork makes the dream work. Absolutely. That's all from us now. Thanks so much for listening, and bye. Podcast Network.